and welcome to our podcast series, Centre Stage. I'm Lena Seigel, a director and part of the coaching team at Bladenmore. In Centre Stage, we'll tackle the issues that business communicators face, from investor and bank communications to ESG to employee engagement. In light of World Menopause Day on the 18th of October, this episode will look at what companies are doing to support colleagues experiencing the menopause in the workplace. According to a 2017 UK government report on menopause, menopausal women are the fastest growing demographic in the workforce. One third of the workforce is over 50. The taboo around discussing the menopause, particularly in the workplace, is starting to break but there's still a long way to go in terms of providing the right support in the workplace for affected employees. Joining us today, we have Sue Todd, the CEO of NABS, Carol-Ann Menashe, Global Head of Inclusion at HSBC, Nicola Davidson, Vice President, Corporate Communications and Corporate Responsibility at ArcelorMittal, and Victoria Mackenzie Gould, Corporate Affairs Director from M&S. Welcome, everybody, and thanks very much for joining us today. So, uh, Sue, you are the CEO of NABS, and it's a support organisation for the advertising and media industry. That's right. And we've had some fantastic campaigns from Channel 4 looking at sort of supporting menopause and raising awareness. How do you think the industry is doing in providing support for employees? I mean, I think advertising and media is really important for cultural and social change. I think we are, you know, drivers of that. And I think the last five years, there's been a significant shift in terms of the coverage, both in the media with content, lots of high profile, you know, celebrities, I guess, in the media making podcasts. There's been more coverage. Um, So I I think there's been a definite shift in the last five years. I mean, we've got a long way to go, but uh, the conversation is changing. And I think advertising within that context has a role to play as well. Um, There's been lots of new campaigns from various brands that I think are really shifting the narrative as well around women's health generally, but menopause specifically. And I think that's really healthy as well, Um, because I think all these things need to collide. You know, we need the law, we need businesses, we need organisational change, but we also need social and cultural change. And I think that's where advertising media has a really important role. So what are some of the big brands doing to change the narrative? Well, I think there's been a real change into, you know, conversations like, so Channel 4 offer a diversity and advertising award every year, actually, and it's um, entered by lots of different brands. And last year it was won by Tenor um, um, for ageism, actually. But interestingly, obviously, that was a a menopause campaign. It was a beautiful film that was produced by AMV BBDO, um, which really went into really, it was called hashtag no more lonely menopause. And it was the story of a mother and a daughter exploring the mother's challenges with menopause as the daughter had her challenges with puberty. So it was, a, it was a general piece about women's health, but it was specifically about menopause. And it won a lot of awards and got this million pounds worth from Channel 4 to, to, to um, get a lot of coverage and get some airplay. And I think there's been, you know, lots and lots more of those types of womb stories from body form have also won awards. So, so it, the narrative and the story is changing. We are having conversations in our industry, certainly, about breaking some of the taboos. And we're, we're seeing, I think, that the shift is coming because the ASA, who are our regulator, um, stood up to some of the campaigns in the last couple of years that have pushed the barrier. So I think there is a movement. You know, we've seen 
slowly but surely the taboos and the stigmas are being shifted and um, you know there's still going to be complaints from the public to a certain extent they find these things difficult to see sometimes but we're moving the dial I think and that's that's the role advertising I think can play in media. So do you think that also ageism is being underrepresented I mean it's it's the taboo and the stigma that you're talking about but isn't it also to do with um, you know the the old uh, understanding of menopause that it's Basically, all it is is hot flushes and grumpy women. And and you know, actually, on that ageism point, um, Lena, as well. So we are very much in the infancy of doing this at ArcelorMittal. So for those listening who don't know, ArcelorMittal is a big steel and mining company, and we're probably earlier on in our diversity and inclusion path than some of the other ladies on this panel. Um, but we have decided that we want to double women in management by 2030, and so we're looking at all the different aspects of that. And it's very interesting because I'm all for having a menopause policy and I'm sort of the person on the council that's leading this and we've started thinking about it. And I kind of probably naively, I guess, because this isn't my day job, um, assumed that most women would also be supportive of that. And actually, we've seen that that's not necessarily the case. And one of the reasons for that is related to ageism. I mean, there's many reasons, but I got one email from somebody that said, you know, at the beginning, um, it's periods then it's pregnancy, and then at the end, it's menopause. And I thought, at the end? I'm not at the end, you know, so we're not at the end. But there's this, I think there's this real nervousness from women in terms of will that just be seen by employers as yet another reason why employing women is more complicated. I think that's a really important point. Are are others experiencing that? So I'm going to take that and put a more positive spin on it. (laughs) Most organisations on the planet now are pursuing some kind of approach around wanting to build the number of women in executive roles or build women leadership. And at HSBC, we've definitely got that goal, doing well with that goal. I firmly believe that unless we can fully support those women at every stage of their journey, we are not going to achieve that objective. Because um, there is definitely a correlation between experience and sort of seniority and age, that's undeniable. And so, you know, my estimate is about 30% of my female workforce of 220,000 people is um, is at some point on that menopause journey. If I lose those women, or if those women feel unsupported because it's just life is life would be simpler if I didn't have the work thing to cope with, um, that's going to make a real dent in my ambition. And I'm also fascinated about about the the power of women once they get through this. I think some of this narrative is all focused on it's the perimenopause, it's all of the symptom stuff. Look at the wonderful contribution really senior women make in all walks of life if we can get them over there. So, you know, look at what women can do when they hit sort of when they're late 50s, early 60s. And I think we've got a much longer arc in our professional life. So not the end. okay, Mm -hmm. um, but we've got to do more to support them in the middle. I think it's a really good point. I mean, I think I saw some stat the other day from um, someone who said that actually there's 3.8 million 45 to 54 year old women in the UK workforce, which is the biggest cohort of you know any age group, which is phenomenal actually. So absolutely at prime with a huge you know we all know there's talent problems. You know we all know that 
work is changing phenomenally to lose even, you know, half or a third for any period of time of that workforce is going to do phenomenal damage to the economy generally. Vic, you you can't ignore it in your industry. No, so we've got 60,000 colleagues and 70% of those are women. Um, And of that, 25% are what you'd call the kind of typical menopause age. And I think what's really important is that 35% of those women are managed by a man. So if you think about the structure of our business, it's often in a store environment. And those guys are running actually medium-sized businesses with, you know, multi-million pound turnovers, often 300 people working for them. It's quite tough. And sometimes what I sponsor the Menopause Network, and what's really interesting to hear is, is that a lot of these women are being managed by younger men as well. So obviously what you've got is someone who doesn't quite understand how to talk about it, effectively feel like they're having a conversation with their mum. One of the things that's been really apparent for us is older women not saying they've got the menopause. So just having a lot of absence. Mm -hmm. Um, And then obviously that becomes a performance management issue. So one of the things we are changing is we're, and it sounds simple, but we're a very systems-based business when you've got so many colleagues in different places is actually you can select menopause as your reason for absence. So that if you're feeling like you don't want to say it, then actually you can. I'm a really, really big believer that you've got to be very straightforward about all these topics. And if you start whiffling off in language that no one understands, and it's very easy to do, then you've lost your base effectively. Because, you know, let's say I've got my colleague Linda who's in Grantham store. She's thinking, I don't know what you're whibbling on about because I can't even tell my manager that I've got the menopause. (laughs) So I think there's something really important around being open and upfront and Mm -hmm. honest. At HSBC, huge global organisation with hundreds of different cultures. Yeah. <laughs> How do you manage that to Vic's point? Well, in actually a similar way that we manage many other aspects of inclusion, right? And so um, my personal approach is I think I'm more of a principles-based rather than a policy-based person because actually it's I have 66 markets, I've got 220,000 people, I've got you know every hue on the political spectrum, etc. And so to navigate a path between that, principles help me because principles, it's easy to agree with principles, right? We set out a global framework, three very simple principles. One is we want to build awareness, getting resources in people's hands, having conversations. We want to remove barriers that might be getting in the way of somebody feeling fully supported or fully doing their job. And that might be as simple as fans, although we've had the conversation, I don't want to, you know, I don't think all it comes down to fans, but, or um, providing breathable clothing to our branch staff that need to wear a uniform, et cetera. And then the third point is, is adaptability, which is, which is this. Every single woman's journey is different. My journey is different from your journey. We understand all of that. So I think by setting a principles-based framework, we kind of all move in that direction. And then actually it's easier for the individual markets to, to, to do the sort of the, the doing that needs to support those principles, right? Um, and that's much easier than saying we're going to have a policy that says you are entitled to this. And, you know, that might be right in some markets because you need that kind of protection. But from a global perspective, that that approach has helped us. I think that's really interesting for me because ArcelorMittal is also a very, very global company. And our Diversity and Inclusion Council tries very hard to represent that global nature of the group. Yeah. And also diverse, it's half, it's 50% women, 50% men. And... I think looking at it from a principal perspective actually would be very yeah. valuable for us because what we were thinking about doing 
is piloting in one country and probably the UK, because we seem to find that actually the women in the UK uh, are are sort of ready to be a little bit more on the front foot with that. And our CEO is extremely committed to um, improving the female uh, leadership representative. I think it is genuinely more this sort of nervousness from women and probably because we are at best 30% female, 70% male across the company. I think it's also that, I mean, uh, it's really interesting what you said about Marks and Spencers because the reality is that it's great to have the menopause as one of the identifying reasons for being off or having absence, but it also relies on the women themselves identifying that that's what's happening to them. The reality is, you know, till the health systems catch up with us and people's education around self-identifying what's wrong with them, Mm. it it almost falls on business to help with that process around education too because we know the health service is focused on getting more doctors trained on menopause but there'll be so many women who just don't realise that that anxiety, that stress, yeah. that overwhelm, that joint pain, because it's not the hot flushes, it's not, it's not. you know, it's something to do with menopause. So I think they go down as stress or anxiety because that's what yeah. they feel they're feeling. I can I do a shout out for the men, actually? Um, because that sometimes this conversation can be a little bit polarising. Oh. In my experience, some of the best conversations I've had are with male leaders. So part of our campaign around education is education for everybody. It's not just putting really important information in the hands of, you know, the women who may be impacted and their line managers, everybody. Everybody knows a woman in their lives, right? It could be a mother, it could be a sister, it could be an auntie, it could be a wife. And I've had some really, really amazing conversations with senior and junior colleagues, male, who go, oh, this is so helpful. And now I know what's going on with my mum. Yeah. Or now I can put that in context for what my wife might be going through. And actually, in, in our resources, we're very open around, this is for everyone, you know, take this home, you know, talk yeah. to the people in your life and colleagues. And I think that is what can exacerbate the issue that you're referring to if we're not careful. So we have two co-sponsors. So we have an ex-executive committee lead and then we have one of our kind of brilliant, uh, kind of like high-flying leaders do it. So there's also a bit of development for everyone. And I sponsor it, but I did it with a guy called Pete, who's wonderful, he's worked in retail operations his whole career at M&S. And partly it was because we wanted to give a signifier to all of our male management population that we're doing this together. So actually it's okay for us all to have a conversation about it. But really wonderfully, he'd also joined, because we've been doing some drop-ins to learn out more about the menopause. He joined some because of his wife. And actually, that's a great story that he can tell internally as well, which is, it is to your point, not just about your colleagues. It's about, we all know someone, and actually it helps break it down as a, well, this is something I need to learn for work. Because you also don't really want that on this topic either. You want everyone to feel like, actually, I'm just learning because it really helps me more broadly, I think. With uh, the difference between sort of policy versus principles based, do you need the government? Does it matter? You're doing the job that they're doing. My personal view is yes. Um, I think the menopause mandate, the non-profit that's been driving for legal change, I think, you know, they have a point about the protected characteristic nature of menopause. And I personally would like to see that happen. But I think even though it failed this time, it has widened the conversation into other areas as well, which I think is useful. The reality is, you know, I think my industry is taking very seriously that if it's going to hit its goal to have 50% CEOs in advertising and media, then, you know, we need need women's complex health issues from 
all life stages to be better understood. And I think that, you know, menopause can be the Trojan horse for that because it is senior women who, you know, potentially suffering and, and can push that door down with the help of their male colleagues. But the reality is, I think, you know, women's health more broadly is complex and needs more of a spotlight on it if we're going to solve the kind of talent problems and the, you know, gender equality issues and goals that we all have and we all share. And from a global perspective, I, I haven't got time to wait for 66 governments around the world yeah. to tell me this is the right thing to do. Appreciate that, yeah. But I do think there is a role for certainly private sector organisations to be at the forefront of this, to be leading it and not, not have to wait for the legislation. I also understand that actually by far the majority of people in this country do not work for an M&S or an HSBC. They work for a SME with maybe 50 people in it and actually those are the, those are the people that would more benefit maybe from governmental kind of uh, mandates. But, um, but from a global perspective, I think we know what the right thing is to do on many, many of these inclusion topics and we just need to go ahead and do it. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Caroline. Again, as a working for a global company, our presence in the UK is actually tiny. But saying that, personally, I found it very helpful to see what the UK government was doing because it, it did sort of bring it more to my attention and I think made me think, OK, maybe this is the right time now that I need to try to bring this to more open discussion. So not critical for a global company, but useful, I would say. Yeah. If you introduce quite rigid policies somewhere or a government set policy, is there a danger that it just becomes a box ticking exercise back to, you know, you must provide desk fans, etc.? I think there's a limit to what you can legislate on, to be honest. I mean, I think there's a risk. Um, and this is always the the thing you're trying to weigh up with anything in terms of inclusion, which is, well, is it box ticking or is it genuine change? Well, I think the answer is that, yes, it might be a bit box ticking for some people in the organisation, but that's sort of the point. And imagine what would be going on if we weren't box ticking. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's a balance. What you don't want to become is sort of driven by numbers and the need to do something. And I think that is the risk of regulation, certainly as a listed business with reporting. Mm. It's a real balance. But on the other hand, if you didn't have that, where would you be? It's really interesting for me, obviously, having um, Caroline, you and Vic um, here representing uh, M&S and HSBC, um, I'm sure there's a lot we can learn from. How did you actually get started in this journey? Was it, did it start with you? Did it start at the, in, in the boardroom? Did it start with your CEO? I, well, I think like many of the inclusion topics that we uh, work on, it sort of, it kind of, kind of grows organically. And certainly at HSBC, I think it first started with a group of very motivated colleagues for whom you know they were experiencing their own perimenopause journey and and starting to sort of pull some ideas together, pull some thoughts together. And um, we're lucky that we have an employee resource group strategy. And so there's a real openness to we want to listen to colleagues and whatever the issue might be, if there are a group of colleagues that feel passionate about it, there is a listening ear. And you just get these trends where that clearly became a sort of a, a lightning rod topic, actually, where a lot of other colleagues started gathering around that agenda. And, and then it's, it's working in partnerships. So it's always in partnership with colleagues who are focusing on, on that issue. And then the joy of my role is that I get an opportunity to sort of look at it at a more strategic level. Mm. And, you know, the business case of if you've got 220,000 people, 52% of them are women, 30% are going through this, that's an important topic. That's the way to get yeah. people to, uh, to listen, is to say it's a business case. Yeah. Mm.
Um, and is that the same in, in retail? You know, I think there's two things that you've touched on, Caroline, that are really important. The first is about wanting to listen. So I've been at MS Nick just shy of five years, and, you know, both our chairman and our chief executive are just so clear that culture is critical to our turnaround and listening is a massive part of that, particularly listening to the front line. But as you were saying, Caroline, so you get the top-down leadership kind of almost permission to, and then actually our colleague networks are very vibrant now and the menopause networks st streamed out of the gen network. Mm -hmm. um, and it's doubled in size actually, and it's still only 3,000 members, which if you think about how many colleagues I've talked about, this is a long way to go in yeah. terms of membership. Because you're in the early stages, yeah. unlike um, Vic and, and Carol Ann. And so what, what are other concerns or issues are coming out um, as you debate it at a senior level inside the company? Yeah, so I wouldn't even say we're debating at a senior level yet, Lena, actually. We haven't even got that far, I would say, because by the nature of our company, it's interesting, the Diversity Inclusion Council, actually it's 50-50 male and female, but it's relatively junior women mm. and more senior men. Mm. So I do sometimes sense perhaps the more junior colleagues are a little reticent of actually sort of, mm. you know, mm -hmm speaking openly. I'm very committed personally to it and so are a number of other women. So we are, we're creating that network and I've sort of started reaching out to other women of a similar age, either in the UK office or, or globally, to see whether they're interested in running a focus group in, in London. Lena, we were talking before about flexible working yeah. as well. And I mean, I know flexible working is a very big topic, which is not just related to menopause, obviously, but it's something that I feel is also really important for women's health and for menopause. But the fundamental litmus test is, can you offer flexibility and real inclusion for your frontline workers? I think not many benefits of COVID, but one of the silver linings was the sort of shift to hybrid. Largely, we are, um, you know, obviously we've got our retail colleagues who are doing similar frontline work, but we have a lot of colleagues who are just in traditional offices. And the rollout of hybrid, which means this blend of home and, and office working, has really minimised that noise on flexible working because it's just democratised the idea that, you know, work is what you do. It's not a place that you go. It's not a specific time that you're doing it. So I agree there are there are still probably challenges on managing the shifts of frontline workers, but um, I think hybrid has really helped and I think that's part of the, that has to be part of the narrative. And so there are so many things to take into account when shaping a policy that it, it's back to it all coming under well-being really. Mm. And, but flexible working comes into well-being as mm. well. So, so when you're shaping a policy from the beginning, do you have to in, or do you indeed include all parts of the business. I think in real life, in my experience, you very rarely have something that's fully formed and perfect from day one. And in fact, if you're waiting for that, you'll never get started. And the stakeholder management of that would just be insane. So, so starting, just start, just start, start with, have some principles that you can agree on and just start saying, well, if we were to do something that was in line with this, what would it look like? We have come a long way and we've got a lot further to go, but don't wait until it's perfect. And one of the things that I feel personally passionate about around the information is about signposting, signaling to younger women, this is coming. A lot of women are kind of navigating the early stages of perimenopause not understanding what's happening, mm. right? And that's why symptoms checkers and stuff like that are so useful. Um, and, and so I, I do think there's a generation shift. And also, 
We are the first generation of women at real scale in senior leadership jobs. So whereas menopause has been with women since millennia, it's very different when you're in a board meeting and you have brain fog and you can't remember the chairman's name. What sort of feedback have MS employees had and HSBC employees because that's where you really start to find out. I mean, I, don't, I think we're still at the kind of nascent start of this in one sense. So I think the feedback's overall positive and, you know, we're definitely talking about it more. There's a straightforwardness and not just at menopause. So 18 months ago, we rolled out free period products in all of our, for all of our colleagues. But actually, it's really interesting. The feedback I got from quite a few male colleagues was what was really the best thing about it, in one sense, was the way you spoke about it. It was just very straightforward, rather than try and faff about and not really talk about it. And it's obviously World Menopause Day today, and we've got a lot of activity in, and I think going on, and a large part of that is just having a conversation with our colleagues. And But sometimes what you need is a little bit of we're just going to have something and have this big conversation to let everyone know that it's okay to talk about that here. And I think that's as important as having the right policies. It is being able to raise it without you fear need of recrimination, yeah. basically, because that's all that people are worried about. 100%. I, so I would agree with everything that you said. And I think because our strategy is probably most mature in the UK, because that's where we started, you know, we've, we've had phenomenal feedback from colleagues, you know, to the point where we know 20% of women going through the menopause will have such severe symptoms yeah. that they will really consider quitting. And, and that is, you know, really, so that, that, yeah, that that's the group. It's devastating. devastating. Yeah. Um, so we've definitely got examples like that. So when yeah. you launch your global guidelines, are, are they the same everywhere or are you tailoring The them guidelines slightly? are the same and we are also leveraging World Menopause Day to share all of that with our colleagues um, and, and get some, some buzz and some interest. And, and really, it's, it's, you know, you might not need this now, but it's hit, just know it's here. How much training have you done for men in order that the conversation can be done on both sides without... Embarrassing. You know, I, I think I would um, mould your question slightly to say we haven't done gender-based training, so it's like menopause for the women, um, other training for men. What, what we, I guess what we've done is we've segmented our learning resources to say this is a just sort of general guide. Every, everyone could benefit from knowing just this general stuff. Um, here's a line manager guide, which is really about how you have good conversations. like do's and don'ts, right? Mm -hmm. Offer support, don't try and prescribe things, you know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. It's a very simple yeah. framework, very nice, easy, everyone can follow it framework. But people like having one. Yeah, because... just, just like tips and suggestions, yeah. right? So we've got, everyone needs to sort of know basic stuff. We've got line managers, this is how you can support your colleague, this is how you can have the conversations, these are the resources that you can point them to. And then a much more in-depth, resource pack for colleagues who are actually going through their perimenopause. So I, I, I think of it as sort of three groups of people mm. and it's gender blind really. There are many, many, many things that cross my desk as opportunities that could make huge change, right? There aren't many things that cross my desk that have an opportunity to make a huge change with very little actual cash that you need to involve. I mean, this is common sense, principles, good ideas, 
loads of, you don't even need to write your own resources. There are loads of organizations who have done all the hard thinking who would be more than happy to partner with you, right? This is not a huge technology investment. You know, it's not costing millions of dollars yeah. to put together. This is just a kind of grown up way of thinking about uh, running an organization. So high return, low investment, why wouldn't you want to do that? It's fantastic to have so many senior women involved in moving this conversation forward. So thank you so oh, and, much. And thank you for inviting us. I Lina. know. What it's a wonderful way to spend the morning. Fantastic. Isn't it? Re really Love good. It. Yeah, and I've got so many ideas to take back to our company as well. So thank you. It's great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Well, I found that to be an incredibly fascinating and highly topical episode. Thank you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our series on all the streaming platforms to keep up to date with the latest trends and hear our insights.